0: Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with New York City jazz drummer, composer, and educator Reggie Quinterly. We caught up with him to talk about his latest and very impressive 2021 CD, New York Nowhere. His approach is a blending of traditional classic 60s sounds with the progressive music of the 2000s. He grew up in a rich musical environment and attended Houston's High School of the Performing and Visual Arts. From there, he went on to the East Coast and never looked back. He studied with the likes of Jimmy Cobb, Lewis Nash, and Kenny Washington. His stories and insights are rich ones. Enjoy.
1: Right on. Hey, thanks for taking a minute out for Neon Jazz today. I appreciate it.
0: Anytime, anytime.
1: So I really dug New York Nowhere and... uh, when I started doing interviews when this pandemic started, it was like, you know, you got an album coming out, but you can't do any live music. And now we've kind of evolved into 2021. And it almost seems like putting out an album now is almost like a live performance. There's so many people that can be pulled in to the new music. What are your thoughts on this coming out during this time on on Earth? For me, well, first of all, I want to say
2: this. I, I have to start off with this. I want to say that I appreciate what you do, you know, because there's in this whole... Uh, ecosystem of of you know the arts and, and and music. It's always nice to to have an outlet that actually features the voices of of the creators. So uh, I definitely want to acknowledge that and, and thank you for having me here. I I think in my case I can only speak for for me. I I think that uh, this has to happen. I, I I think me releasing this project. I mean I think it's the the best time. And even in light of of things being, you know, shut down, I go back. Sometimes I have to go back to my own words. Two projects ago, uh I, I released a something, an album entitled Invictus. And in the EPK of it, I, you know, I, I remember saying that creators have to create. And at that time, it was no, there was no pandemic, and we weren't really kind of uh, sectioned off as we currently are but the but the rules are the, are the same you know creators have to create and once you make that a, a part of your mission then you know then the only left is the follow through and uh you know that's what I've been dedicated to and that's what this project is is an extension of just the follow through the creating process and now it has to to go out there so <laughs> Yet still, we have to, we have to uh, create more, more art that can, be, uh, that can kind of be a conduit for, for the change that we want to see.
1: Well, yeah, I, I totally agree, and thank you for, for the compliment up front. I, I've always made it a mission at Neon Jazz to make sure that, you know, there's a lot of ways you can approach this art form, but I think it, it's really about the artists and their voices, so that's exactly what, what uh, we want to do around here you know i really enjoyed this album um it it said there's so many sonic textures that go into it but i want to know from you ultimately what do you want the listener to get from this experience how do you want them to feel about this project you put out
2: i want the listener to experience the love and joy and the the process that that went into it. it you know because you have to enjoy what it is that you're doing because if you don't enjoy what you're doing it's very possible and highly probable that the people that are listening aren't going to enjoy what they're listening to you know so i wanted to reflect the 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 collective you know i'm thinking back to the uh to the studio session i mean we had so much fun i mean i was surrounded by people who i respect and and hold in, in the highest of esteem and for the time that we were in the studio, egos were set aside. I had to open myself up to you know, be open to, to, the, uh, to the ideas of others on my music. <laughs> and, and that's why I got them. It was a very, it was a very loose, you know, loose atmosphere. We had a lot of fun. Anytime we get those guys together, there's a lot of laughs. So if there's anything that I wanted people to take away from, from listening to it, just know that we had fun and i hope that in listening to listening to it you you really kind of get that transfer of the fun that went into making it and i and you know it starts with you know as a composer just a couple of notes and just like okay that that's the vibe that i'm going for that's what i want to hear and then you get the then you get the musical personalities and then you put them all together and then you 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 know you get into a room and and hopefully the 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 spark of inspiration is in there and then it all gets documented, hopefully it gets documented in a in a in a quality where all the instruments can be heard
1: and you and you dig everything like that and then you and then you put it out. How did these jazz seeds begin for you? How did you get the bug and how did it kind of evolve as you were younger
2: so growing up i you know I've told this story more than a couple of times, but growing up when i was when I was going to church, one of the First person who I saw playing the instrument um, was a was a, a drummer by the name of Lester Grant, and he, uh, you know, I used to always sit right by the drums and 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 you know hear him play. But he just kind of had a certain way of of carrying himself that was was super cool, super cool, and like super super laid back, and it, it, he look he looked like he was having fun. So uh, my mother, you know, reached out to him and uh told him that I was interested in studying the the instrument. And you know, at this point he's you know, fifty years older than me. I mean I'm a little kid. You know, mm-hmm. so he kinda took me he took me under his wing in that way and then later on I was I had the you know fortune of having some, some great private instructors, an instructor by the name of Sam Beacons. But how I kinda got turned on to the music is is through Lester Graham because in addition to playing in the church he was really like a he was really a jazz drummer, and that was his thing. So he, you know, would tell me about recordings and stuff like that. And then also, as I'm getting a little bit older, some of the hip hop that I was listening to at that time was heavily sampled by jazz recordings. I would check out the the liner notes and, and the production notes and, and see where they got the where they got the uh, where they got the samples from. And then I was more interested in finding the the Grant Green sample than actually listening to, you know, more of, of the hip-hop that I was hearing. And and for me, the music at that time, and even still to this day, it didn't sound like anything that was around me. You know, the the sonic texture. I remember the first time I heard, you know, Kind of Blue on a tape that one of my, my mother's friends w- was playing. It didn't sound like anything I'd heard. It didn't sound like anything on the radio. And I was immediately... Kind of transfixed the, by the sonic qualities. Like, wow! How do they? How do they do that? Like, how does that? How does that sound so cool? Like, how, you know. And then from that point, it, it's been a process of discovery and trying to check out as much music as possible. And and that's something that I can actually say that I, I do every day.
1: What was the first live jazz show you saw that blew you away? I can't. I don't
2: want to rack my brain. To try to think about the first jazz show that 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 blew me away. But you know, because it, I mean, when I first started seeing shows, it's every one of them blew me away. And and this, we're talking about you know local musicians who I think are just as as talented as as any of the big names. So every every jazz show that I saw blew me away, and I can't even. I can't even send. You got to send that question over ahead of time, so I can really <laughs> rack my brain instead of being on the spot. But yeah, I saw uh, I saw a lot of great shows over the years, and I'm still about, getting blown away by great shows. Yeah, so yeah, I'm, I'm with yeah. it.
1: Yeah, totally. What about mentors? What what voices have remained in your head? What what people have given you great advice that you've just remembered over and over throughout the years?
2: Uh, one of my first teachers, Lester Grant, he always said, "You know, don't forget about the blues." That's a great one. I think one of the biggest would be my 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 current mentor. One of my current mentors by the name of Sam Dinkins, and Mr. Dinkins was so important because he was the he was like the one of the first persons that I, I saw being a professional musician that like could really do this. Where I saw that okay, no, this isn't just a hobby. This is something that you get better at. This is something that you have to respect yourself before you expect anybody else to to kind of hold you to that same kind of respect. So he he was because he I think when he was in in college he was actually a business major. So he took that that and applied it applied it to music. So I mean he, he's always been my constant inspiration on just how to handle yourself as a musician. Then when I get to the college years, you know, I I went to the new school in um in New York. And some of my mentors included uh, the great drummer, Michael Carvin, and the bass player, Reggie Workman, you know, so many great teachers that I had, Kenny Washington, and another great drummer. I mean, and they all, from them, I I, I, I grabbed little pieces. Mm -hmm. Then later on, I I went to uh, the Juilliard School, and, and there was a great faculty there as well, you know, with Kenny Barron and you know, Frank Hembro, you know, and all of these people. And I, I learned to, to try to be as perceptive as possible and, and try to pull different different things from there. So, I mean, there were so many conversations. I will say if I had to sum up all of those experiences in, in, one, in one kind of small idea, I would say if this is what you're going to do, if music is what you're going to do, then try to be as prepared as possible. That means... You know, learning an instrument, learning other instruments, being, you know, as tapped into to the history as possible because you're going to, you will use all of it in, in one way or the other. So, yeah,
1: if this is what you're going to do, then then the uh, the studying never stops. And the beauty of life is that it's surprisingly cyclical. And because of these mentors, you've become who you are on the stand. What do you try to show young players and up-and-comers that you get a gig with? What What is it that you want to give them? You know, I never even think about myself as showing others. If there was anything that
2: I've been shown that I would try to reflect to others is um, that the process, that everything, you know, you, that you just said, that it's that is cyclical, uh, that everything is a process. Every time I play, I'm trying to grow. I'm trying to... To to kind of better myself, and you know, each kind of coming back to the to the recorded works, each album is is an opportunity to kind of uh, document another side of my musicianship. You know, small little by little makes big. You know, so be be encouraged. I would I would say that that's probably one thing that I would like for all uh, musicians, especially. To uh, to be aware of, be in, be encouraged because it's it's not easy. There are so many things that that can sit on the other side and discourage you from accomplishing what it is that you were made to do.
1: So every day you wake up, you're 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 an artist, you're a creator. What is the most exciting thing about waking up every day, knowing that you're a professional musician? Hmm, the most exciting part.
2: I live to to find to find new things, to make new connections, and. When I say connections, you know, I'm not talking about like well, business connections. But I'm, t- I'm, I, I wake up and I'm always looking for new ideas, new ways to to make connections between something that I'm reading, something that I'm actually seeing when I'm when I'm driving to drop my my kid off at daycare or or something that I'm hearing. It's like all of this information is 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 swirling around in me, you know. I'm just kind of waiting for these new connections. I'm, I'm I also a big part of what I do is I, I I do a lot of teaching as well. I teach some uh, some jazz history classes at, at Hunter College and at the Juilliard School in the evening division. And so I'm always thinking about my next class. I'm like, all right, okay, cool. I'm I'm got a class coming up on uh, Charlie Parker, and I'm, and I'm like, well, I could just kind of present the standard way of Okay, he's born. This is a, the day that he's you know born, and this is that he ways that he dies, dies, and the date that he dies. But I'm thinking about like how can I bring all of the other things that I'm interested in and kind of overlap it over this story. Like how can I really think about? Well, you know, Charlie Parker is actually the, the the head of a of a of a new musical movement. It involves all of these other you know other musical personalities from then even until you know all of the people that he inspired like how can i how can i find the the biggest way to uh to make that idea as crystal clear as possible to others so you know this is what i'm i'm you know always sifting through in my mind as i'm i'm going through my 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 daily uh my daily routine so
1: you know if someone last year would have said you know over this next year you're going to watch a virus wipe every possible form of live entertainment out we're going to go through an unprecedented level of racial social and civil upheaval in this country i don't know that anybody could have ever comprehended what this year was going to bring but i think what i've noticed out of the jazz community is that there's been a level of strength and vigor and i think the coming back is going to be a very unique experience so my question to you is looking at this from a a personal perspective and a community perspective, how is this going to make the jazz community stronger surviving this very tumultuous period in American history?
2: I think it's going to make this community in particular stronger in the same way that it's going to make all of us stronger because this experience has forced us to really reevaluate what we hold dear. You know, when we're going through these things as a collective, not just one situation, not just one. It's easy for your family. It, it, it's difficult, but it, I, I'll, I'll be personal for a second. You know, my mother. I'm originally from Houston, Texas, and I have some family members who are dealing with some material losses from you know the the the, the storm that uh, the the winter weather is and the and the brutal things. If it was just my family that was going through it. It would be hard on me and it would be hard on, you know, them and, and, and stuff like that. But when you have a collective of people that are, like, going through something very similar and everybody's been affected, now we all have to, like, reassess, well, what what are these materials, you know, what are these material possessions really worth, you know? And, and you can always look on the bright side. It's just like, okay, I might have lost everything, nothing. I know anybody in my family that lost everything. But some people did. Some people lost loved ones. And you're just like, wow, you know, what can I be grateful for? So now let's expand that to a situation like, you know, the context of COVID where everybody's life has been affected. Now we're all have we all have to reassess, like, well what's important to me, you know, health, that I can wake up and I and I have my faculty, that I can still practice, that I can still you know, strengthen my resolve in what I believe, so that when things do open, if they do open, if they go back to some semblance of how they were, that I will be ready, and if they don't, then I still have to be able to adapt to whatever the scene will look like for that particular time. So you know, I think the answer is somewhere in
1: there.: <laughs> It is, man. That's great. That's a great answer. So you know, the world's kind of waking up now, and I think there's things that we're starting to see. And it's almost shocking that, you know, I'm hearing things that are opening up and baseball is going to start. They're going to have fans in the stands and all these things. Or you're going to get back on stage. And when you do, and when we get back in the audience, what do you hope we realize about this long absence away from live jazz? Uh,
2: the, the importance of the music. The importance of the music. It's partic- in particular to jazz, one of the I would say one of the main tenets of this music is improvisation. And even though, in the context of, of of you know music and and life and and thinking about the sharing of ideas, because all these things happen on the bandstand, you know, to, it's a beautiful thing. But we deal with, I think, one of the reasons why this music has the ability to um, to resonate with so many is, is because we do that in our lives, like problem solving, like that. That's all, you know. That that's what jazz is all about: musical problem solving and collaboration. And uh, when things, when people get back on the stage, I would hope that the audience members, as well as the performers, realize just how special it is that what we're holding, you know, what we are vessels for. Like, that's a very special thing. And it is something that I believe can withstand the pandemic. Trust me, I don't want this to happen, but even if all the clubs close, this music would still has has the ability to still live on because it is not dependent on solely existing in clubs. Now that's a part of it. I don't. I definitely don't want to diminish that. That's a part of it. But the the basic core idea and principles of this music, you know, they they live inside of us whether there's any clubs or not.
1: Yeah, I'd, me you know? too, man. Yeah, that's a big fear. I know, even here in Kansas City. But you're totally right. I think about how I've. Uh, you know, over the years, grown into this love of jazz, and it will never go away no matter what. And we've been through things like this. I mean, you know, the birth of bebop was during a time of, of a lot of tumultuous things going on in the mm-hmm. country. I mean, been post-war racism in a way that no one mm-hmm. ever saw, clubs getting burnt down. And you know what? Those cats didn't do it because of a capitalistic venture. They did it because they felt it you know absolutely
2: they they felt it and they and they lived it and they and they loved it i mean this music has always been at the forefront of of, of bringing people together you know in the in this and when haven't we had strife in this country you know it's yeah. been there in the 70s it's been there in the 80s depending on where you were it's been there in the 90s and we're seeing the manifestation of these unresolved issues in the 2000s and the 2020s and we will continue to see it. it's it's a it's a constant. We're engaged in a in a constant uh, fight for survival and, and to highlight the good of of what we do. But this music has always been at the forefront of bringing people together, of, of breaking down those walls. Even you know before before Jackie Robinson integrates baseball in '47, I have a book right here. Before he even did that, you know, musicians were on the stage shoulder to shoulder black and white you know benny goodman even before that they were on the stage playing together in this in this in this brotherhood of uh you know bounded by by this beautiful music
1: that's our collective history yeah i got to go back to the to the beginning of our conversation here the thing that i'm amazed that the stories that come from musicians are the revelations that i hear like that they're they're always so wise and revelatory and true and that's beautiful what a great um idea because we're all under a guise of certain things in american history but when you look in the truth it's undeniable um absolutely so my final question to you is this everyone has a perception of you and who they think you are your family your friends your fans but you're the one that's ultimately living your life who do you think Mm -hmm. you are i think i'm a
2: student of the music i hope to be a student of the music I hope to be um, someone that reflects uh, all the positive, you know, and 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 life-giving, uh, you know, vibes of, of all that's good. That's what I hope to be. That's what I hope to be, you know. And it's a, and it's a daily, it's a daily, uh, it's a daily
1: process. So. <laughs> yep, I can vouch for it. With what, with what I've heard in music and word, it, it makes sense to me. Reggie, thank you for taking a minute out for Neon Jazz, and thank you for uh, doing
0: what you're doing to the jazz community. Thank you so much, Joe. I appreciate you uh, calling, and any time. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview where we give you a bit of insight into the finest cats in Houston, New York, Kansas City, and spots all over the world, giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Reggie for his time, music, and story. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. Visit Jazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz all the time, go to the NeonJazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. <laughs>
1: Neon Jazz.